I don't know how much you remember from when you were in second grade. Uh, it's, some of it's, it's getting to be a long time ago. But if you uh, do remember some things from second grade, it was probably either something that was really good that happened or something that was traumatic that happened to you. And I remember something that happened to me, I think it was was second grade, if I remember, but I grew up in Wisconsin and went to an elementary school, uh, grades uh, one through five, out in a little school out in the country, and one day they took us all outside for, well, it wasn't even recess, and we got to go outside, so this is starting off pretty good so far. And we got to go out, and they said, hey, we're going to do a, we're going to do a game. We're going to do a contest. And it's going to be the boys versus the girls. Okay, so now they got our attention. What's this going to be? Because whatever it is, those girls aren't going to win. Okay, because we're going we're to make sure that we win this contest, what this is. And I said, okay, they gave us each a garbage bag. And I said, here's the contest that we want you to go around, and you got the whole, you know, the playground, you got the, the field where you play, all the, all the school property here. And you can go around and you're going to fill up your garbage bag with as much litter and trash as you can. And whoever has the most of this is the winner. We're like, all right, yeah, we're doing this and we're going we're gonna to beat those girls. We're going to win this contest. Looking back, I realized we were tricked. <laughs> it's like, good, good job. Props to you uh, to <laughs> trick children into uh, cleaning up the school facility, but that's what is happening. But we thought, okay, we're going to win this, you know, just for the, for the, for the, the glory. We're going to uh, defeat these, these girls. So we're going around and we're picking up, and there's not a lot of trash. You know, little gum wrappers and things, uh, you know, little lollipop sticks and stuff. But not a lot to fill a big garbage bag. So we're trying to do that, and we'd, we'd go out and gather stuff and bring it into the garbage bag. as kind of the central location, and let's see who's got the most. And I remember I went off to the, the side of the property and there's a, a big field where you could play you know, football or you know, uh, all, whatnot. Uh, but then there was a, um, a cornfield on the other side and in between there was uh, kind of a row of trees and, and rocks that kind of separated the school property from, from the farmland that was next to it. So I'm looking there and I'm like, maybe there's something here. So I'm looking and I see a big garbage bag. I'm like, all right, this is great. And I, I pick up this garbage bag, and it's, it's pretty heavy. You know, it's got some weight to it. I'm like, this is awesome. I'm thinking, I, we are going to win because I got this, I'm a, you know, little second grade kid, and I'm holding this big thing. I have to use both arms to hold this, and I don't know what's in it, garbage, I guess, but it's heavy. And so I'm excited. I'm thinking, this is awesome. This is going to help me meet my goal here. This is going to be, we're going to win because of this. They're going to be so excited when I come back. And so I got this, this, uh, this garbage bag full. I'm thinking, at this point, this is my treasure. Okay, I am excited about this. I am treasuring this. I am so glad this is awesome that I found this. So I run back to everyone else when they got the, uh, uh, the, 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 big, garbage, uh, the big garbage bags you know, to put my thing in this. And I uh, run up, I'm like, hey, everyone, look, 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 because I got this big thing, and look, we're going to win. And so they all kind of look, and I, I run up, and as I run up with this thing and I stop, the thing that is inside the garbage bag slides out onto the ground, and it was a dead dog. <laughs> if I remember right, I think it was a beagle. Um, and so, <laughs> you know, everyone's there looking, and all of a sudden, they're just, yeah, everyone's traumatized. 
I'm traumatized, they're traumatized. And the thing that I thought was going to be my treasure, the thing that I thought was this ultimate thing that I wanted, I was so glad to have, uh, just ended up being a disgusting dead dog that traumatized my class. This is the reason I'm telling you this, okay? Because I don't want that to happen to you. Think of what it would be like if you spend your entire life going after something that you think is going to be your treasure, that you think is going to bring you happiness, that is going to bring you joy, that this is your treasure and what you live for, and at the end of life, you find out it's something, it's a disgusting dead dog, and you've been living for that your entire life. And most people, that is the happiness, that is the treasure that they're seeking. It's going to end up being something that is not good and not what they want. We've been in this series talking about desiring the glory of God. We've been talking about different ways, different levels of living your life. And last week we talked about uh, the glory of God. And just if you weren't here, or to give us a reminder, we had five statements five uh, uh, that we went through. Let me go back to that. And the first one we said, it's not about you. Okay, or it's not about you. Uh, just remember, it's, we think the world revolves around us. It's not meant to. It's about God. He is the one that's meant to be the center. And we need to have a Copernican revolution in our lives, get ourselves out of that center spot, realize that's where God deserves to be, and he's the only one. That everything exists for the glory of God. He is the chief end why we are created. We're created to glorify him. And you see that all throughout Scripture, you exist, the purpose that you exist is to bring glory to God. And you will one way or another. And that even if you resist him and rebel against him your whole life and are, are lost and go to hell, there's still a sense you're going to end up bringing glory to God, but not in the way that you want to. But we want to come to him and bring him glory in a, in a better way. Glorifying God, a way to say this, there's other ways, but it's to magnify his worth, to show how glorious he is. We're not making him more glorious than he is, but we're helping it to be seen. And we don't magnify him the way that a microscope takes something small and makes it appear big, but the way a telescope takes something that actually is really, really big and helps us to see it more closely for what it's like. Glorifying God is an act of the heart. That is the main organ that we do that, not really the, the physical organ uh, that pumps blood, but the center, the core of our being. We're going to talk more about that today. And that God knows the truth about his glory. He knows he is central. He knows that he is the most glorious. And this is not a vain thing. This is just, this is, God knows the truth. He knows that he deserves to be at the center. We talked about that there was this uh, old catechism that asked, what is the chief end of man? And the answer it gave is the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So now if last week was talking about the glorify God part, this week's message kind of really is about the and enjoy him forever part and how that works and really how those two things fit together. So I am going to be giving you this week uh, seven statements that I hope will help us to understand this. I believe they are worth writing down and so you can find those in your outline in the bulletin. But the first one I want to give you is this statement that 
God created us with a natural desire for happiness. Sometimes we think we have this twisted view of what Christianity is all about, that, yeah, come to Christ so that you will never be happy again. Give up your happiness, you know, all those things that you enjoy doing. Come to Jesus and, and be miserable, and that's the way you ought to live for. The living for the glory of God is about dry duty. It's about being miserable, not doing all the things that you enjoy. And there's something about that that doesn't seem all that appealing. And sometimes we think, well, yeah, but I have this desire to be happy. I do have a desire for, whether you call it happiness or, or joy, satisfaction. And you think, well, I just got to bury that. I got to deny myself that. But I'm starting off by saying that there, that desire that you have for happiness is God-given. This is not a result of the fall. God give, gave you a implanted and a good desire for happiness that is built into you, and he did it for his purposes. And we're going to see this is for your ultimate purpose, that God gave you this desire to seek happiness. Now, it goes wrong, and people take it in all kinds of different directions, but your actual desire for this is a good thing. Blaise Pascal he was a French philosopher and mathematician, and he also believed in Jesus. And in one of his writings, he said this, All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they may employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attending with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of man, even those who hang themselves. Realize what he's saying here is that no matter what choices people make in life, whether they're good choices or whether they're really bad choices, they think it's going to make them happy. Or at least they think it's going to make them less miserable than what they would have been already. And so whether you or your neighbor or anyone, all the choices are, are motivated by this desire for a type of happiness. Sometimes it goes wrong. Sometimes we're seeking it in the wrong way. But we are built and designed by God with a desire to seek happiness. And we need to realize this is not something, when we look at some verses in a little bit, we'll see this has to be the case. This is not a bad thing that you desire to seek happiness. It is designed by God. But our problem, point two, our problem is not that we seek happiness, but that we are too easily satisfied. We seek happiness, we try to find it in lesser things. We try to find it in the wrong things, in illegitimate things, in things that ultimately can't satisfy and don't satisfy us. Maybe some of you have read some things by, by C.S. Lewis. He's the guy that did the Chronicles of Narnia. He was a Christian, wrote a lot of different books. And in one book that he had called The Weight of Glory, he has a great quote on this. I'm going to put this on the screen and read it to you. C.S. Lewis says, If there lurks in most modern minds the notion that to desire our own good and earnestly to hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing, I submit that this notion has crept in from Kant and the Stoics, from these other philosophers. 
and is no part of the Christian faith. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. And he explains, what does that mean? We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. He is on to something there. This thing that has crept into a lot of Christian thinking that it's about just follow your duty and if you're trying to seek happiness, you're doing the wrong thing. He's saying this is not biblical. There might be some philosophers that teach that and believe that or corruptions of Christianity. We're going to see so many things in Scripture that are about having happiness, having joy, rejoicing, uh, seeking pleasure, that the problem that you and I have is not that we seek that, but we seek it in the wrong things. We seek it in things that are not the infinite joy that God offers to us, but these, these lesser joys that don't satisfy us. People seeking things in sin or taking something that is maybe a good thing but trying to find ultimate happiness in that. You know, there are good things in your life. Your, your family is a good thing. Gainful in employment and work is, is a good thing. There are a lot of good things. There, nature is a good thing. But when you try to make that do the job that God has, we make it into an idol and we're trying to get from that something that it just cannot deliver to us. And therefore, that longing that you have in your heart for this joy, for this, this happiness, this fulfillment, is never fulfilled. And in fact, it goes sideways really quick because now you add sin to this by idolatry, by trying to make something that is not God do the job that only God can do. But the truth is, we are not happy enough. We don't seek our happiness in the right way. It is not the matter for you to be a better Christian, okay, to seek happiness less. You want to seek greater happiness because the Lord is the one that gives that happiness. It's found in him, and it's only found in him. And we're going to see when you seek this and you seek it in the right way, this glorifies God, and this is what you were built for. This is what you and I were designed for and designed to do. But seeking happiness in the wrong place, it would be like being at the ocean and being, thinking you're thirsty, and so, man, there's a lot of salt water out there, and I'm going to start drinking salt water to quench your thirst. God has given you a natural desire, a natural thirst, but if you drink salt water, it's gonna, that's just going to make you more and more thirsty, and that's going end to up, end up killing you. And that's what happens to us when we try to look to the world or the things in it, whether it's sin or whether it's good things that we've made into idols. It's like sucking down salt water. In the early church, Augustine said it this way in a prayer to the Lord, you made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it rests in you. You have a restlessness in your heart. 
And if you don't know Christ as Savior, yeah, that restlessness is big, and you're trying to fill it in all kinds of different ways. For all of us, that restlessness is going to be there, and the only way you can ultimately really find rest is to find rest in Him. Point number three. God's glory and human happiness are not meant to be in conflict. These two things are not at odds with each other. It's not, if you want more to glorify God, you've got you to gotta have less happiness. These two things actually, not only are they not in conflict, but we're going to see they're indispensable. In the previous message, we talked about Psalm 37.4, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Being called to delight in him. Let me give you a few more verses that... Make this really clear that God, that your happiness and God's glory, these are not incompatible because Scripture calls us to be happy, to have, and when I say this, I don't mean just a, a surface happiness, but a deep happiness, a, a joy, a satisfaction. Psalm thirty-two, eleven: Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Think of the commands that are being given there. You know, we think, oh, God's got all his commands, and he's, you know, this, this hard uh, taskmaster, and here's another one. Uh, your big command here, be glad. Okay? God is commanding you to be glad, to be glad in the Lord, and to rejoice, because that's what we do when we're glad. We, we rejoice. We, we express that gladness. And so, yeah, we are being told to do this. Uh, this big mean God here telling us to be glad, to make it that he wants you to be happy in him. And to show for joy all you upright in heart. Another example from the Psalms, Psalm 90, 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Some great passages. This is asking God, satisfy us. You long for Satisfaction. And this is asking for God to satisfy us with his love, that when you know his love, you know his goodness. If you have trusted Christ as your Savior, you ultimately know God's love and goodness in a way that no one else can, a way that not even the angels can really understand, because you can know personally what it means to know in your heart, Christ died for me. And that is a level of knowing his love that no one else can have if that's not true for you to understand that you were saved by the, by the cross, saved by Jesus who came down and took your place, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. One more from the New Testament, Philippians 4.4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, in case you didn't hear it the first time, rejoice. So again, that's being glad, that's expressing our joy, ex- expressing uh, the, the, the renewed affections of our heart for the Lord. So again, here, you think, oh, God's got all these rules, all these things for you. Yeah, a lot of it is to find ultimate happiness, to find your joy, and to find this in him. And we have to notice, in all these, it's in the Lord. It's not just saying, find happiness any way you want. Find your happiness in the Lord. Because that is the only place where true and ultimate and lasting happiness really is found. That's our fourth point here, that God himself is 
the ultimate treasure that satisfies. And there is nothing else that lasts. There is nothing else that can satisfy you with this intensity. Because there's nothing that is as great, as as glorious, is as beautiful as the Lord. And you were designed for him. You were designed to find your happiness in him and to glorify him. Now, sometimes we wonder, you think all these promises or these um, statements in Scripture that are commands, and they do tell us, rejoice in the Lord, praise the Lord, uh, find your gladness in Him. Is it wrong for God to want us to focus on Him? Is it wrong for God to to put himself in the center of of the universe, so to speak, and for us to be commanded and to be designed and built to to glorify him and to delight in him. You're being told to be glad in him. Is is that self-centered of God? Is that wrong of God for him to do this? We think if you think, you know, whoever you're sitting next to, if that was their view, you think, well, that's that's wrong for you. That's, That's not right. If it was all about me, you know, find your, your happiness in me. You know, find your joy in me. You'd be thinking, that's, yeah, let's, first of all, it's not going to happen. Uh, but that's just, that's just wrong. Well, is that wrong for God as well? Here's the way oftentimes I explain this. Um, you may have heard this before, but I think this is really helpful. But, um, well, right now, Art Prize is going on. I know some of you have been to Art Prize. And Hope and I went to Art Prize um, last night to spend some time. We saw some of the things, not everything. And there were some cool things. You know, they always have stuff where, you know, somebody takes a bunch of junk and builds some kind of robot sculpture. And there's neat things like that. And there's some cool, you know, saw some lions and rhino paintings and different things. And there's some things that you look at at Art Prize and you say, oh, yeah, uh, uh, art, I guess. Um, One that we saw, I don't know if you've seen this. This was in the Amway Grand. This is... Huge, giant painting. Okay, if this is what you're looking for in art, they had this. Um, took a picture of this. Uh, so it's on a throne. It's a three-eyed monkey uh, holding an alien baby. There's a tiger. There's a, a spaceship and a nuclear bomb. And uh, reading the description, those are marijuana leaves, uh, which may explain some of this. Uh, <coughs> It's like, what are you trying to make some statement about, I don't know, we came from aliens and monkeys and, all right, whatever. So I'm, but big giant uh, painting here, uh, whatever. I'm not going to keep this on the screen for a long time because you don't need to be looking at this. So here's just another, just, this is, I don't know what it is. But it's better than a three-eyed monkey. Okay. <laughs> you know, sometimes they say, well, you know, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. You ever hear that right? Is it really? Is beauty really in the eye of the beholder? Maybe in some things you could say there's differences of opinion. But let me submit to you that there are some things that are just objectively beautiful. And some things that are just objectively are not beautiful. But there's some things, if you go to the Grand Canyon and you look at the Grand Canyon and you get there and you say, okay, that's a problem with you. Okay? There's certain, you know, mountain ranges you could look at 
that if you don't view that as just majestic handiwork of God and you are awe-inspired by this, there is a problem with you. Or maybe you need to, you know, get off your phone, you need to, I mean, there's something wrong with some things, some just, the sunsets, uh, you know, God's nature and and beauty and and flowers, and even some man-made art that it's like, if you don't view certain things as beautiful, there's a problem. Uh, Pieces of music, okay, Uh, Paco Bell's Canon, something like that. There's some things I think, they're, they're objectively beautiful. I remember being, um, as a kid, elementary kid, and going to a field trip to the uh, Milwaukee Art Museum, and they had a display. We went into a room, and they had like a laser light show. Remember those things where like one little laser, and it's, you know, making circles and designs? And they turned on all the lights, and they had this laser thing going, and, and it was playing Paco Bell's Cannon. And I'm this little kid, and I, I started like weeping, because it was just, it was so beautiful, and the music, and there, there, let me just say, there are certain things that I think are just objectively beautiful. Some paintings are not. But here's how I like to explain it sometimes. Imagine if you had what was objectively the most beautiful painting in the world. That, honestly, it was something that, uh, it, this painting that you had, everyone that saw it would be just moved to tears. They would be moved to joy inexpressible, okay? And if you had this, okay, so it wasn't just eye, eye in the eye of the in, beauty in the eye of the beholder type thing, but this was objectively the most beautiful painting in the world, and somehow you had possession of this. What would be the most loving thing for you to do? Would it be loving for you to say, you know what, I got to protect this thing, and you know what, people shouldn't see this, so I'm going, to put a, I'm going to put a cover over it, and then I'm going to put it in another box, and then I'm going to put it in a vault, and I'm going to hide it up in my attic and keep it safe and so nobody sees this because, man, this is so beautiful, I've got to make sure nobody sees this thing. Or would it be more loving for you to put this thing on display and to put it on display so that people could see it and for you to encourage other people that you have to come see this, you have to look at this, if you look at this, your life will be changed. You will be filled with such awe, such wonder, such, such beauty as, as you see this thing. That would be the loving thing for you to do. To put it on display, to encourage other people, you have to look at this thing. Now think about God. God is not, it is not just that God has the most beautiful piece of art. It is not just that God has the most uh, beautiful thing that he wants you to look at. God is the most beautiful being. God is the most satisfying, the most wondrous, the most majestic. Uh, All of these things, he is the most beautiful, glorious being in all of existence and that could ever be. So what would be loving for God? To hide himself away, saying, no, 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 don't look at me. Or for him to say, I'm putting myself on display for you. Come, look at me, see me, find your happiness in me. It would be messed up for us to do that because we don't meet those qualifications. We are not God. I am not God. I don't deserve to be the center of the universe. You and I, we can't give that satisfaction. But that, that's who God is. And God knows it. 
because he knows truth. And so the most loving thing for God to do is for him to put himself on display, to make his glory known in every way that he can, all the different facets of it, all of the different characteristics that that come together that express the, the one being of who he is. And he wants people to know him, to see him, to glorify him, to delight in him, to be glad in him, to rejoice in him, to praise him. Because this is not only what he deserves, but it's also what is best for you and I. God doesn't just have the most beautiful object. He is the most beautiful being. So building onto this with point number five then. God is glorified in us the more that we treasure him in our hearts. And this is where we're going to start to see how God's glory and us finding satisfaction in his glory, in his beauty, in his goodness, in everything that he is, how these two things go together. The way that God is glorified, the way that he is, is magnified the most is when beings that are created, able to appreciate him, are able to appreciate him, able to treasure him, to find their, their joy in him. And I submit to you that this is a really big part of why you were created in the image of God is so that you are enough like God that you can have a relationship with him and you can appreciate his beauty and his glory and his majesty in the way that a rock or a cat cannot do. We will never know him fully, but we are created enough like him to have this longing for him and this desire and able to appreciate him and see his beauty. Sin gets in the way of that, but that's why we were created in his image. If we think about glorifying God, we've talked about this, but what would, let's think again, what would actually glorify God the most? And sometimes we think, well, it's about saying the right things about God, uh, you know, projecting that. That's why we sing, God must really like, you know, hearing different uh, sounds, you know, making the air waves vibrate in certain ways that communicate, like, that, that he is really great and glorious. And that's why we should sing songs that talk about how great he is because and sound waves must be that must be what God enjoys now if that was true we think well you know what the best way for us as a church for us to glorify God you know we don't want to just do that for a few songs on Sunday morning you know we got a great sound system here and we have a computer system we could hook this up so that these speakers here are, are pumping out praise music around the clock so that even after we leave, the speakers are still pumping out great praise music that's saying really great, true, glorious things about God. And we can leave that going, and it can go through the night, and uh, Monday, Tuesday, all through, the, all through the week. And think, well, that would be glorifying God even more. We realize, well, no, that doesn't really make sense, because it kind of seems that if, if no one's really here to hear it, it's not really what it's all about. Yeah. Remember we talked about that really it's our hearts that are the the tool that we use to glorify God. And that's why if you're just singing songs about God, but you're thinking about uh, what you got to do at home 
you know, I got to make this meal and got this going on and got to clean the house. We got small group coming over. We got this. We got uh, this is uh, you know, all these different distractions. Oh, it's a football game. I wonder, hope it's going to go well. And blah blah blah. You know, you might be saying things and you might be the best singer here, but you're not really glorifying God because it's not the singing. It's not the airwaves, the vibrations in the air that bring glory to God. It's what's going on in your heart. Your heart is the is the speaker that broadcasts the glory of God. And so when you treasure God, when you delight in him, when you find your satisfaction in God, that is what brings glory to him. God knows this. When image bearers that he created to glorify him find their delight in him, he is glorified. That's why we exist. And so it's not just singing, but it's, it's 24-7 through life. As you're thinking about God and as you're you know, at work tomorrow or you're uh, managing the kids or whatever you have going on, as you're thinking, you're delighting the Lord in the background or delighting in him in your, your prayer life. Um, as you're making choices that show that you value God more than other things, God sees this. God knows it. And maybe other people see it as well too. And maybe the angels in heaven see this. And it brings God this glory because it's showing that you believe that he is the highest treasure. That you're ranking him in your heart at the top. That it's not like, well, this other thing is actually a greater treasure to me. And God, you're kind of demoted down here. Hopefully God is at the top. And the more that you come to know him and love him and realize who he is and what he's done for you, <laughs> the gap between you know, God and whatever is in second place just keeps growing and growing and growing because you're treasuring him more and more and more. So this connection with desiring him in our hearts and this bringing glory to God. John Piper, who's written on this in the past um, several years, probably more than anyone else, one of his best-known quotes that summarizes this, uh, he says it this way, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. That the more that you are satisfied in God, you find your delight, you find your pleasure, you find your, your, your glory, your satisfaction in him, that's the more that he is glorified. If you barely treasure him, not glorified that much. But when, through the course of life and everything, you show that he is definitely your treasure, he is definitely the one that, that you love, the one that you enjoy, this brings glory to him. That's how these work together, his glory and our joy. God's glory, human happiness together. Mentioned already the Westminster Shorter Catechism and its statement on what is the chief end of man. It answers and says man's chief end is to glorify God. But look, it goes on. And to enjoy him forever. That there is enjoyment that is part of this. This is not scripture, but, I, but it's right. Okay? And it's explaining scripture to us glorify god and enjoy him and not just for a little while but forever with an enjoyment that doesn't go away and as some have pointed john piper and others have pointed out there's really not two chief ends you shouldn't think of it that okay god has two purposes for your life one purpose is for you to glorify god and the other purpose is for you to enjoy him forever no, there's, there's one chief end. It's not ends. There's one chief goal. And so really, these two things are two sides of the same coin. 
Or as a way that you actually, you could say it, if you reworded this just a little bit, man's chief end is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. That by enjoying him, by finding your satisfaction in him, you are bringing him glory. This is how the ultimate way that we do bring him glory. And these are, these are not two different things. It's how it happens. Delighting in him, treasuring him, being satisfied in him, loving him, praising him, taking joy in him, rejoicing in him. The Bible says it a lot of different ways. God is glorified when he is seen and treasured in the hearts of those that are capable of delighting in him. That is your purpose. Throughout church history, people have seen that this is biblical and understood this. Another theologian uh, that talked about this a lot was Jonathan Edwards. In one place he writes, God is glorified not only by his glory being seen, but by its being rejoiced in. When those that see it delight in it, God is more glorified than if they only see it. God wants to see his glory and to delight in it, to see him and to savor him. And when we do that, God is glorified more than just if he put on a big display of his glory uh, to his enemies and they're forced to admit that he is, he is glorious and all right, yeah, I guess he is. God will be glorified in a sense, but how much more is he really glorified from those of us that find joy in him, would love him? Think of the other things that you enjoy, that you uh, uh, treasure in your life, okay? The good things that you do. This is, this is how it, it works. The more that we rejoice in these things, the more we show how, how we do enjoy it. That's why we talk about some things. You know, maybe you've discovered, you know, some, you know, a, a, a new band, or you talk about your sports team, or you talk about, you know, these other things, a hobby, or you went and saw this national park, or these different things that you enjoy this. And we tend to want to talk about these things. It, it brings us pleasure, and we, we want to communicate. It just kind of bubbles out of our hearts in this way. John Piper calls this, uh, kind of provocatively, he calls it Christian hedonism. Some people like that term, some people don't, because normally hedonism you know, is associated with really bad things. But he's saying, well, his point that he's trying to make is that we are meant to seek happiness, even to seek pleasure, but in the right way and in the Lord. C.S. Lewis in another place writes, it is the Christian duty, as you know, for everyone to be as happy as he can. So again, you're not happy enough because there is more happiness in the Lord. And even if you're finding happiness in the Lord, there is more. You have just begun to taste and see how good the Lord is. And in this life, no matter how sanctified you get, how matter in tune your heart gets to the Lord, it's still only the beginning. Man, this is why eternity goes on forever. So we can keep finding satisfaction, keep finding that, that amplified, the greatness, the majesty, and the glory of God. Let me give a few clarifications before we move on. Okay, this is important. Let me give four kind of things, because if, if you're just hearing parts of this, people can take this the wrong way. God wants me to ha- be happy. This thing makes me happy, so God is okay with me doing this, because he wants me to be happy. Okay, and some people take it this way. 
So first clarification, this does not mean that it glorifies God to seek happiness in any way that you want. Okay? Uh, so you are, we're not allowed to seek happiness in sin. Okay, that's against God. God is telling us, no, that, that's actually poison. Don't seek your happiness there. And if you do that, we're disobeying God. So that's hurting our happiness that we find in the Lord. We also need to make sure that we're not making any good thing into an idol. The good things that God has given us, if you put that above God in your ranking of what you treasure, now you've made that good thing. Whether it's your family or work or whatever, or you know, your, your flower garden, you've made that into an idol if that is your ultimate treasure. Okay? So this is about finding your happiness in the Lord, not just any old happiness that you want. Second clarification, this isn't emotionalism. Okay? This isn't about, you know, let's play on your, your physiology and uh, just get you as emotionally wound up as we can, and that brings glory to God. No, this is a glorifying God that is grounded in truth. It is based on the truth of who he is and what he has communicated to us through his word. It is not ultimately or merely about our, the emotions of the body, but better, the, the affections of the heart, your core. What is it that you, you love the most? And it's God and it's based on truth and it's based on reality. Okay, so we shouldn't be just a church where, you know, it's, we're going to get the music going in the right way. We're going to get the lighting just right. We're going to work on your emotions and pull the right strings and get everyone all emotional here. Okay? Emotions are a part of who we are. Better are our affections, but it's grounded in truth. Three, third clarification. This does not mean that there is no place for self-denial. Say, well, God wants me to be happy, so I better not deny myself anything. And sometimes we get confused because doesn't the Bible also talk about self-denial? It does. But here's what we have to realize. We are denying ourselves lesser joys so that we can have the greater joy. Okay? It's like not filling up on trashy junk food so that you can enjoy the, the steak or lobster or whatever it is that you like. Okay? It's not filling up on on the, uh, the, the free bread, but saving your room for, for the ultimate thing, even if the free bread is great. Okay? So you're denying yourself the lesser thing so you can have the greater thing. At one point, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. We're able to, we're willing to give up everything else so that we can have the Lord. And if that means denying ourselves other things, we're okay with that because having the Lord is enough. He is our portion. He is the one that satisfies. Fourth clarification. You might think, well, this means I can't be happy in anything else. I mean, I love my kids. And I, I, I love, I have a hobby. I don't think it's sin. Uh, there's other things, I mean, I enjoy nature. I can't be happy in those things. You can, but you do it by enjoying those things, giving thanks to the giver. Not making those things ultimate. Even your family, even your spouse. You're supposed to love your spouse. You're supposed to delight in your spouse. I hope you do. But 
we do all these things, you give thanks to the one that gave you those children, the one that gave you that breath of fresh air, that gives you everything that you have. So if it's not sin, and you keep it in the right place, yeah, you can find enjoyment in these other things, giving glory to God. And in all of this, here's the beauty of this arrangement. God gets the glory and we get the joy. God created this world. He created this system in which he's at the center. He does get all the glory. He is meant to. Everything funnels to him eventually. But we get the joy from it. This is like the ultimate win-win situation. Okay, God gets the glory that he deserves, that he ought to have, but he does it in a way that satisfies and gives you joy that you could not have any other way. It's an amazing thing. That's why in the first message we talked about three levels of living. It's not just living for your own happiness, but it's also not just merely living for the glory of God, but it's finding your happiness in the glory of God. These things go together. I think we see these in Scripture. Let me read to you from Psalm 16, starting with verse 5 to verse 11, to the end of the psalm. And just just notice this. I'll put it on the screen here as well. It says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the paths of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Think of the things that we've been talking about. You see that verified here. God is offering fullness of joy. The world can't offer that. God is offering pleasures forevermore. And where are they? At his right hand. With him. With God. That's why the most loving thing for God to do for you was to bring you to him. And that is also why Jesus Christ had to die on the cross. Because our sin was the barrier for us coming to him. We couldn't come to him and our sin also corrupted us and messes with our heart so that we don't see and we don't savor him and we don't love him the way that we ought to. Jesus died so that you could come to him and so that you could have fullness of joy, so that you could have pleasure forevermore with him. What an arrangement. What an awesome thing. You don't have to choose between your happiness and God's glory. Another quote from John Piper, he puts it like this. Did God create you for his glory or for your joy? Answer, he created you so that you might spend eternity glorifying him by enjoying him forever. In other words, you do not have to choose between glorifying God and enjoying God. 
Indeed, you dare not choose. If you forsake one, you lose the other. These go together. What an awesome, what a beautiful arrangement. You don't come to Christ to give up happiness. You come to Christ and you give up lesser happiness so that you can receive true, ultimate happiness forever. So, don't live your life for the wrong treasure. Don't spend your life seeking after these other things that you think are going to make you happy, but they're not. Don't end up living your life for a treasure that ends up at the end just being a dead dog. Come to Christ. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He has made you for him. And in him your heart will find rest and peace and happiness forever. Let's praise God and pray. Lord God, we give you our praise. We give you the rejoicing of our hearts. And thank you, God, that we can rejoice in you in truth and that you are objectively the most beautiful, the most magnificent, the most glorious, the most lovely being that there is or ever could be, Lord God. Lord, forgive us for not looking at you. Forgive us for the blindness in our heart because of sin. Open our eyes that we may see you more and more and that we may glorify you and find our joy, our deep and lasting joy in you. Be glorified in us. In Jesus, our Savior's name we pray. Amen.